Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Um, it's from Colossians 3, 12 through 17. <clears throat> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let this message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, I love you so much, and I I pray now as we turn our attention and our focus to um, your word that um, you would become alive to us, that you would speak to our minds, that you'd speak to our hearts, um, that you would cultivate this type of character in us, um, this gratitude and this thanksgiving that we would be people um, that look at the round at the things that we have, and we look back at you and we say, you are a good giver, God. And so we commit this time to you, and I just pray, um, what we have not, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we know not, would you teach us? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I want to begin uh, with my main point today. This is what I want to come across and um, say. We'll actually start there. It's simply this. If the essence of God is grace then the work of a Christian is gratitude. So I'm saying, or we say, the Bible says, God's nature and his character is grace. That's who God is. And maybe um, if we want to give like a little bit of a definition to grace, it's an undeserved favor or a gift, right? And so therefore, if that's true, then our response or our posture should simply be gratitude or thanksgiving. And Paul in this passage repeats this three times. I want you to be thankful, be grateful, be thankful. And so what is gratitude? Tapping into the theme here of thanksgiving. Um, Our word gratitude actually comes from the Latin gratia, which means grace or graciousness. So grace is actually found right in the very word. Um, In the Greek, grace and thankfulness actually share the same root word, which is charis. So it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so I believe that actually gratitude begins in your heart, right? It's that feeling of just like that overflowing. Maybe it's um, the nostalgia it's sitting around a table and when we're sharing what we're grateful for. But um, what Paul is actually saying is that this is an action, right? Gratitude can be partly a feeling, but thanksgiving is actually an action or a behavior. And what I want to put forth to you today is that it's actually a spiritual discipline. And so um, this past fall, um, what we've been doing is actually all fall, we were spending time understanding what is the heart of the Christian faith? What is this thing called the gospel? 
thinking about how it is that we respond to what God has done. And so as we move into Christmas, um, we're actually celebrating that, right? What has God done? He put on flesh. He came downstairs. That's Christmas, right? Incarnation. He lived a perfect life. And then in a historic act, he was crucified, taking on sin and shame. Christians believe then that Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and this is what we call actually the gospel, And so our work is actually to respond to that. And all fall, I'll just give you a really fast summary. This is what we were saying is, what is the gospel? And it's simply this. It's unconditional love to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. So it's unconditional, right? It's it's love without dividing walls, barriers, stipulations, or constraints. It's undeserving, meaning we didn't earn it, right? We don't warrant love in our current condition. And we get it by an unobligated giver, meaning he doesn't have to, right? It's, it's, it's free in that sense. So, so maybe you think of it this way. Say you, say you saved up a bunch of money, right? And you wanted to buy a car. Um, it's really easy to have a car in the city, so it's a good idea, I guess. Um, so you go to the car dealership. Um, give me like a make model. A Mazda what? What's that? All right, I want you to Google how expensive that car is. Mazda 626, okay? Okay, so we're getting this Mazda, right? Um, I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to have to get a loan, right? How much money have we saved up here for this, this car? So it's exciting, right? You saved up, and interrupt me, Jenny, and give me that number. Um, and she, she's like, yeah, I will. Okay, so it's an older car, right? It's an older car. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. So you go to the car dealership, and you get this old car, apparently, but it's very nice, and it's, it's going to be a, it's, it's a very reliable car. It's been around for a very long time, okay? And so this is very exciting. You buy the car, and you say thank you out the door, but guess what? They thank you too, right? Thank you, right? You spent your money here. You go home, and um, you, know, you sit down, and you think, oh, man, I got, I got a new car. That's exciting. But are you full of gratitude you know, for, for, to Mazda? Are you full of gratitude for the car dealership? Okay, you're 7,500. You know, maybe you saved up three grand. You're going to be paying this off over the next... We'll give you, three, we'll give you a three-year loan on this, right? And so you're grateful, right, that you, you got this new car. But you're not necessarily grateful to, like, you know, a person or the dealership. But say um, I rolled up to your apartment. I'm honking my horn outside your apartment. Um, that's different, Right? What if I came to your house and I said, hey, come, come down, come down, right? Stephen, come down. And I threw you the keys to this car, and I said, this is yours. This is your car, right? I want you to have this. You'd be grateful. Maybe you wouldn't be grateful for this car, so maybe we should have worked on this a little bit. Um, but you, what did you say? Yeah, beggars can't be choosers, right? You'd be excited, right? You'd probably give me a hug and say, thank you so much. Why, why would you do this? This is such a gift to me. There'd be a sense of gratitude because it was free. In the first one, you earned it, right? You saved the money. You're excited about the new car, but you earned that, right? In this one, someone gave it to you as a gift, and all the response needs to be is, thank you, and I'm grateful. And I think when we think about this idea of the gospel, um, some of us are treating it like like, um, we earned it, like this good news is for us, and we've earned it, or we need to be working towards something to pay off God, when in reality, it's actually just free, and our work is gratitude. And and let let me say this as a caveat. 
if, if you're here this morning, and we're working on some slides here, I think. Um, if, if you're here this morning, and you're, and you're like, I'm not sure what I believe spiritually. I'm not sure what I believe about the person uh, of, of Jesus. I, I would just say this. I hope that when, I, when we look at this passage, Colossians 3 today, um, I hope what, what you would, would hear and see is, I just want something like that. Right? What does the passage say? Put, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and forgiveness and gratitude. And so my hope is that even if you don't know exactly what you believe this morning, that you would look at the passage and say, there's something about that that's good. And so if the fitting response to the gospel is gratitude, why is it that we struggle with gratitude? This is what I want to talk about um, for a few minutes. Um, I don't know if you've ever had something um, stolen from you, um, but it's quite scary and violating. I had my car broken into one time. It's absolutely terrifying to think about somebody violating my things. And um, I think in the same way, um, when, some, um, when something is stolen, it's like a violation. And this is what thieves do. They take away the way things are supposed to be. And so what are thieves of gratitude? That's kind of how I want to set this up. First is this. We're addicted to grumbling. Earlier in Colossians 3, what Paul is doing, we didn't read this part, but Paul is giving us a contrast. He's saying, this is the old you. This is how you used to live. And now here is how I want you to live. That's the part that I read. And earlier he said this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He's saying, these are the things that actually came naturally to you before, but now I want you to actually move away from that and move to something else. Later in Philippians, he says this. It's like the most um, straightforward and plain verse in scriptures. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hard. I think one reason this is so hard is because we are addicted to complaining. We are amazing in our culture at critiquing and finding fault in everything, in experience, food, clothing, vacation. We, um, we as a culture critique everything, right? We, we, we put a review or our stamp of approval on everything. I've been watching um, the British Baking Championship, which is just like, it's the best show because it's low drama, it's delicious food. I don't even know why I care in the slightest. I don't bake. I, don't, I barely cook for that matter. But I'm watching and I'm realizing, like, I'm tensing up. I'm like, no, Henry's biscuits are better than hers. Why is she winning the technical? Like, I'm watching this. I'm like, what is, why do I care, right? I watch these shows like I'm giving out Michelin stars to restaurants. Like, what is that about us? I, I left a review um, uh, for Daily Provisions on 19th Street for their maple crullers. It's a double deep fried donut with this maple frosting on it. I don't even, I, I think I said like, take my money or something like that in the review. <laughs> I got an email from Google saying, your, your review has reached 100 views. And I'm like, yes. I was, so pr- I was so proud of myself. Why do I care? Why do I care? If you get really, really bored sometime, go to the closest McDonald's to you on Google Maps and read the reviews. Like, I was going to do that this morning, but I would just leave that to you as homework. It is crazy how people critique and review. Why? Because they're addicted to complaining. And there's actually science to back this up. I went on a deep dive this week of like Stanford neuroscience, and I'll give you the, the summaries. And, you know, if you're like a, a neuroscientist, a neuro, neurosurgeon or something, do not, do not quote me on this, all right? This is not going to be, I'm going to say it my way. 
But basically what I was reading, and this is my way of saying it, is that um, when we complain, we're actually building bridges, neuroreceptors, and they're getting closer and closer and closer together. And so one of the things that it's actually, is this true? He's shaking his head at me. Okay, very good, very good. Your brain, when you complain, is hardwiring itself to complain more, right? It's, you're building those bridges and actually getting closer, and so it's easier to find yourself complaining. And you know one of the things, this is, this is so true when you're in community, when people are grumbling and complaining around you, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's so addictive, right? Somebody starts complaining about something, and then somebody starts complaining about that thing, and then you start just building on it in community, you find yourself addicted to complaining. Not somebody else, right? It's always easier to point out these things in somebody else's character. But what about you? What another thief of gratitude? What about this one? Feelings of entitlement. I was reading this scripture this week and um, other ones about gratitude. And I began thinking about like the modern Western mind and how actually um, unnatural gratitude is, right? Whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I think the reason many of us um, struggle with gratitude is because we're actually operating from entitlement and discontent, right? We, we, we struggle to think of things that we're actually grateful for because we're actually positive that we deserve great things, right? We struggle because we'd say, you know what? I, I actually am entitled to the very best that life has to offer. What do I have to be grateful for? Like with the car, right? Like, I, I earned that, right? I don't need to be thankful. And when we think we've earned something, giving thanks actually feels really irrelevant. I mean, I act like this. I, um, a few years ago, um, Katie and I had this terrible internet provider called Spectrum. Um, and remember, I, I swear they changed their name from Time Warner to Spectrum just to get away from, like, the bad name. And um, you know how they get you with those promotional rates, right? It's like $49.99 for one year, at the end of the year, my bill went up $15, and I was like, absolutely not. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting after it. So I get on the phone, and I'm so determined to, like, lower my rate or cancel. And so I began, like, very, very nice and fake. Hi, my name's Russell, and, you know, for some reason, my bill went up. When I, I'm, I'm being silly. I know full well why my bill went up, right? And she responds like, oh, well, let's see what's going on. And she knows exactly what's going on, too, Right? And she says, you know, look, it, it looks like your promotional rate ran out, and now you're at the, you know, the standard rate. And so I'm like, I'm feeling a little smooth and a little tough, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do about this? I don't remember her name, but I'm probably like, what are we going to do about this, Sharon, you know? And, and she's, like, um, she's like, well, nothing. You know, like, there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, come on, like, let's, let's try something, you know? She's like, let me, let me put you on hold, right? She comes back, and she says, all right, here's what I can do. $5 off, so a $10 increase. And so then I just lost it. I was like, so you're telling me that nothing has changed on my internet. The speed hasn't gone up, but you're, gonna, you're, you're charging me more. She's like, yes, sir, that's exactly how it worked. Is anyone just cringing on the, like, okay, very good, very good. Just do this, just do this. So, so I, I take it further. I'm annoying on things like this. So I just say, you know what? Like, I, I feel bad that you have to deal with people like me. Can you, can you send me over to the person that's going to cancel or, or fix my problem? And I get off the phone. I cancel my account, and then I open a new one under Katie's name uh, for $49.99. <laughs> Deal with that spectrum. But I, I, I act like that. Like, I act entitled on, on the phone like that, like a tough, 
tough person. Like, I know what I'm going what, to, what, what's the right thing to do? And sure, you know, maybe you're like, Russell, your motivations are quite pure because of the monopolization of the market and internet should actually be very affordable for people. I agree. I agree. But my actions actually scream entitlement. I think I deserve cheaper. I think I deserve better. And I'm actually back in that tension in those moments of what Paul is actually trying to contrast here with the old self and the new self, right? Putting to death the old me, anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, and moving away from that and actually putting on the likeness of Jesus. Here's how um, one author said it in this book. This is an amazing book if you're interested in like building or cultivating community. It's Christine Pohl. She says this, dissatisfaction as a way of life is encouraged by a consumerist culture that feeds notions of entitlement. We want more and we want better. Better bodies, newer cars, bigger churches, more beautiful homes, finer coffee. Somehow wanting these things morphs into the sense that really we deserve them. A cycle of generalized dissatisfaction fuels envy, striving, and buying. Listen to that. Somehow wanting these things morph into the sense that really we deserve them. The more you feel entitled to the less you feel grateful for. It's just a fact. There's nothing to be grateful for. You think that you earned it. And, and, and when I read this this week, I thought, that's, that's me. I, I wish it weren't true, but I'm a consumer in that way. And I've bought into that narrative that I deserve more and I deserve better. I just read yesterday that um, Black Friday did a record um, number of sales online this year, $9.8 billion. So there's nothing wrong with wanting. That's, that's actually not the problem. I'm not trying to build shame and guilt in you. That's not actually the idea. But what actually we need to be cognizant of is that desire of wanting can actually bring to us the sense of entitlement, and it can take away or steal our gratitude. So what's the next one? And I'll be really, really quick here. It's very simple. Thief of gratitude, it's that we're simply too busy. Some of us in the room have to slow down. We have to slow down. Gratitude is getting pushed out of our lives because our lives are too full and too responsible. There's no room for gratitude because there's no time to notice what we might be grateful for. We are grateful when we recognize, we say, God, I'm experiencing your good gifts and I'm grateful. I'm noticing them. And that's actually um, just a little plug for our Advent series. So I really hope you'll be here for our Advent series. We, as a whole church, essentially what's happening to the end of the year is like everything is speeding up and rushing to you, right? Your inboxes are flooded. You're jamming in work. You're trying to, you know, jam in last coffee, last drink with a friend or coworker. Everything is coming at us so fast, and we actually want to do the exact opposite at Advent. We want to learn to wait in anticipation for something. We want to slow down, and we want to pause. And part of that, and this is a really good um, introduction to that, which is we have to slow down in order to do that. What's the last one? Thief of gratitude is this. Misaligned priorities which, which is ultimately, I don't want to be fancy here, it's actually just idolatry, right? So here we find that ingratitude is not just annoying or unpleasant, but it's actually dangerous. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Here's what he's saying. Um, ingratitude is not just a psychological problem. It's, like, it's not just bad for your emotional health, but it's actually a sin, right? Failure to give God thanks is ultimately idolatry. It's taking um, something created and making it a God. And, and why is it doing that? 
Because ingratitude is actually denying that God is good and he's the giver of all things. It's saying, I earned that. I didn't need God in that moment. I I did that on my own. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking. And the connection to me is so interesting that he says their, their thinking was futile. They perceive themselves as entitled, owed. And so they can't be grateful recipients of anything, right? Because they deserve to. And I think this is one of the things I I think about for us as a church a lot is that if you were to come here and and you to be honest, you were saying, I I showed up here looking for this sort of sense of belonging, right? Like I I, want to be understood. I want to be known. I want to, I want to be, I want to know, I want to be known deeply and belong. But also we have to recognize what we also bring to a sense of community is our own longing for autonomy, Right? Like I want to be this individualistic person. I want to be understood and known as, as an individual. I want to make it in my career and in, in my field, right? And we have to understand that both of these things can exist simultaneously, right? We, we can exist as our own person, sure, in community. But I, I believe um, when we walk into community, we, we, we're really saying, I deserve to be in community. I deserve to be known here. And yet I want my own autonomy in that. And I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer this week, and he just really helped me understand the ways that we enter community and what we're bringing. He says this, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Christ Jesus. And I just think this is a really good challenge for like us as a whole community. Are we actually grateful for what God has given us inside of that, even when it, when it actually costs us or sacrifice our own autonomy? Even, even when we're less known as an individual, when we're more known as a community. And for some of us, gratitude hasn't crossed our mind in this way because actually we walk into groups and people, and we say, you know, I'm actually deserving of this. I, I'm, I'm entitled to this. And then the, the, if we just swing the pendulum really quick, um, we would say, um, I don't actually want to be grateful um, to somebody else in community because you know what that would mean? It would mean I'm dependent on another person, and I, I, I would rather never be dependent on another person. When you, when you show up into community, what you're actually saying is, I need other people. I need other people and when I say thank you, I'm, I'm actually acknowledging that I have a deep need for other people. And so these are thieves of gratitude that um, hinder us from practicing this idea of thanksgiving. So if, if we're going to like practice this, what do we need to do or what do we need to acknowledge? And I just really want to say two things here. And here's the first one. Is the Bible is, the Bible is so painfully realistic. And so some of you may be, may be sitting here and you're thinking, you know, Russell just read this passage, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. And some of you may be sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, but you don't know my life. You, you don't know my hardships. You don't know the things that I've been through. You don't know my wrestlings. Like, it's, it's actually kind of annoying for you to come and tell me to be grateful. Like, do you know what I've been through, right? And the good thing about reading the Bible is, is, is the Bible is this. It's living between grief and gratitude constantly. It's, it's, it's sort of like within this tension and trying to figure out these, these moments where we're like, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of confused at points. 
Right? This, this, see, when I'm looking at this, this biblical character, I'm, I'm looking at them, and their life just seems like it's, it's at the lowest point, and yet they somehow have a contentment about them, you know? And you read it, and you're like, wow, the Bible's actually full of, of failures. It's like a, a friend that makes all the mistakes, and you're supposed to learn from those, right? That's what, sort of like what reading the Bible's all about. And a little bit of background maybe is, is helpful. When I was thinking about Paul, and I've been reading through the book of Acts, um, and um, in, the, in the end of the book of Acts, there's this really sort of strange scene. Paul gets arrested, and he's being transferred basically from government official to government official in, in uh, Acts chapter 27. And um, it's a really fascinating end to the book. And Paul's life is just like tragic, tragic, tragic. You're like, what is happening? This is what a follower of Jesus gets and looks like. There's shipwrecked, and he's, um, he's hungry, he's tired, he's feeding other people, just pure hardship. And this is what Paul does on the ship. Um, right before it's shipwrecked. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. So he's actually taking on care for other people. He says, you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. This is a promise from God. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. He broke it and began to eat. So here's this moment where like tragedy is all around him. The book of Acts is about to end. Um, later we learn he, he, he loses his life. He's imprisoned. He's shipwrecked. And right in the moment, there seems to be on this boat this moment of calm and thanksgiving. And I love this because Paul is steeped in gratitude, even in the moments where everything is wrong in the world. You can do both is what I think he's saying. Here's how he says it in 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I read this passage all the time, and I'm like, no, I don't want that to be God's will for me, right? Like, I pray, God, what is your will for me? I want to respond to you. I want to do the right thing. What if that's it? Give thanks. It doesn't say Paul should give thanks um, uh, um, like for all the circumstances, right? It says to give thanks in the circumstances. And I think there's a key delineation here. Gratitude doesn't mean no lament. Gratitude doesn't mean roll over your feelings and move on. I actually think there's a, a, a good relationship or tension with grief and gratitude. Um, in 2015, um, on Christmas Eve, I got a phone call that my grandmother had died. And I love my grandmother. Um, it was so, so close. She helped raise me. Um, and she had suffered for eight years um, from dementia and Alzheimer's, and um, I remember sitting in the parking lot of my church and, and just crying as I was walking into church for Christmas Eve service, and a few days after that, I got a phone call from my aunts, and they said, would you officiate the, the funeral? And I, I responded right away. I said, honestly, I'd rather not. Like, I'd, I'd rather just participate, and um, they persisted, and I said, sure, but I'm going to, like, ask a lot of people to, like, participate in the service, and so um, the service started, and everything was fine. Um, I got up to share the message, and, you know, I had, like, what I thought were, like, brilliant ideas, and I stood up, and I, I found myself with nothing to say. And so, like, I leaned into the microphone, and I, I just said, this was the opening of my grandma's funeral, death is stupid. I was like, that's what I could muster in that moment. And I miss her. Like, I, was, I was just grieving in front of everyone. And I shared that I didn't believe that we were meant for death, that our bodies were not meant for death, that we were actually created for eternity, and that 
um, in death as a Christian is, is temporal, and, and I was able to sort of lament in front of everyone and kind of do what I needed to do in an honest way. And then my cousin came up after me, um, and he and I are really good friends, and he just began sharing stories. Um, he shared a story about how um, our grandmother took he and I to buy snowboards in, in, in Arizona, um, and we went up in northern Arizona, and she would teach us to snowboard, um, even though she'd never snowboarded a day in her life. Um, he shared how she was a horrible cook. Um, she would make goulash, and, um, and then we would throw it away, and we'd eat ice cream, and she would drink like the grossest Rolling Rock beer. And in the midst of my cousin's grief, he was like just expressing gratitude for her. And we accidentally did something so brilliant um, in that moment is I, I, brought the, like, I brought the lament and the grief and the mourning, and he brought the gratitude and the thanksgiving. And actually, both of them were allowed to exist. Both of them were allowed to exist. And I, I think that um, in, in the world that we live in, we, we, we're always celebrating or mourning something, right? We're always between a party and a funeral in our world. And so I think we need to do that personally. We need to mourn. Like I, I, when I came into this week, I was like, I think people struggle with that idea of like, just be thankful, give gratitude, give thanks without being mindful of like the real tragedy and hardship of the world that we live in. But what if you can do grief and gratitude at the same time? And then here's the last part, is embracing Thanksgiving as a spiritual practice. Paul is not giving us ideas. Paul is telling us action. He's not saying, here's a way to think. He's saying, here's a way to live and act. Do something about this. This is not just, oh, that's a really nice idea, pastor. No, that's, that's not it. It's actually, do it. Do something about it. And the cool thing about this is that we actually habit our way into it. And I don't know exactly what that, that, that means for you, but like, do you this morning actually believe that everything that you have, I mean, right, right what we said from the generosity liturgy, everything that you have and everything that you are comes from God. Like, if you really believe that, then where's your gratitude? Like, where's your thanksgiving? How are you speaking that out loud, right? We're, we, we need help reconnecting the neural pathways that I don't know anything about, right? So I don't, I don't know what that exactly means for you. But I think that if we're really going to do this as a people, as a church, embracing Thanksgiving as a spiritual practice, then there actually needs to be a regular rhythm that's like cultivated. So I don't know if it's like starting a note in your phone of things that you're grateful for. I know that there's those um, um, gratitude journals that you can fill out every day, or there's apps. One of the things I was thinking about um, for myself was changing some of my vocabulary. Um, I often say, I have to do something, right? I have to take my kids to the playground. I have to finish up this work. I have to do this. But what if, in terms of language and showing Thanksgiving, I actually just change that I have to to I get to, right? It's just like a simple way for me to cultivate a heart of gratitude where I say, you know what, actually, it's an honor to do that, and I'm, I'm actually grateful, and I'm going to posture myself towards that. And so gratitude actually begins with paying attention, noticing the goodness and the beauty and the joy around you, but then speaking it, I'm so grateful for that. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's where I want to close today. I want to practice a, a prayer with you called the prayer of examine. Um, and so if you have something on your lap, if you, just, like, if you want to fold it up, you want to put it um, below your seat, I, this might just help you. Um, anybody do, do the prayer of examine? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Very good. And so it'll come up on the screen here. 
This is actually um, a prayer started by a Jesuit by, um, named St. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And um, it may seem strange or foreign to you, but it actually just um, helps us become present. Right? That's the first part. And I'll guide us through all of this. Um, and then I'll leave some silence. But we're becoming present. And then we're going to look back at the last 24 hours. What, what happened? What did we experience? How do we look at that through the lens of gratitude? And then as we do that, we're going to then look at our emotions within that. Good, bad, just let, let that exist. Um, if there's something in this moment that we need to ask for forgiveness for, we're going to do that. And then we're going to look forward to tomorrow. So if you'd like to close your eyes. Why don't you take a few deep breaths? Holy Spirit, God, you are welcome here. Would you help us become aware of your presence? Step two, let's review the day with gratitude. The last 24 hours, what happened? Something that good that happened. You can be thankful for. Step three, let's pay attention to the emotions that we've experienced over the last 24 hours. Sometimes there's a lot of them. Step number four, ask for forgiveness. There's something that you need to ask for forgiveness for so that you could experience God's grace. This is not a shame-inducing inventory. Is there a way you need God to meet you in forgiveness? And lastly, looking forward to the next 24 hours, what does God have for you in the coming 24 hours? 